do we <laughs> i don't remember the script do we keep that gag going further on in the i script? think we bring it up yeah we do okay can we All please right. title the episode december 16th 1991 <laughs> wow we're even gonna title an episode <laughs> after your birth date Jeez, I thought I was vain. <laughs> I thought I was the, I thought I was the narcissist in this. Wouldn't it be great? We can do this all day. Episode 15. Captain America Civil War. You ready, partner? Rock and roll, Buckaroo. Hi, this is Mark. And this is Emily. And, and we, we can, can do, do this, this all day. A podcast where we review all the movies in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We'll go through each film in the MCU chronologically and discuss our overall impressions, things we liked, things we didn't like, and everything in between. We hope you'll tune in and stay with us till the end of the line. It's another glorious Friday night in the nation's capital. Emily, good evening. Welcome back to Studio E. I was about to start singing Happy Birthday, but I know that is heavily copyrighted. They'll probably hit us for that harder than they would if we started singing the Disney music. I think so. The reason I think Emily is making references to Happy Birthday, I guess probably the biggest news of the evening, July 28th of last year was when our first episode dropped. Episode zero dropped on July 28th, 2020. We can do this all day is now one year old and i think that is that is an awesome milestone happy happy anniversary to us emily ah a whole year that's amazing that's quite an achievement thank you for riding shotgun with me on this journey of course we're like thelma and louise and right over the edge you're back in studio e after our lovely ant-man detour which i had a fun time with with cherokee cherokee i know you're listening thank you so much for joining us that was a fantastic show since we're in the future i have already heard from some people who really enjoyed it oh fantastic so. fantastic that is good to hear well cherokee will definitely be joining us again actually a lot sooner than we all think at the moment she's she's booked to uh join us for black panther in just a couple of months so we'll be hearing cherokee again very very shortly so on to mcu news the two biggest pieces of news in the MCU. We are recording this podcast on Friday, July the 9th. Black Widow has opened. It is playing both in theaters and on Disney Plus's premiere tier. As we speak, our first MCU film in just about two years. It's been two years since Spider-Man Far From Home came out, so it's about time. I'm thrilled that the movie is finally out. We're going to be watching it on Disney Plus tomorrow night. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm just very excited. We finally got a movie again, and we're going to get so many this year. It's an embarrassment of riches and hopefully well worth the wait. Also in MCU news, we just got yesterday our first trailer for the animated What If series, which is going to drop on Disney Plus on August 11th, which I believe is a Wednesday. They're going to do the Loki thing again with this series and it looks tantalizing to say the least also mentioning loki loki is having the last episode in the timeline that we're at on wednesday by the time you hear this loki will have been done for a couple of weeks i think it's been one heck of a ride we uh, we both just watched episode five a couple nights ago and uh wow <laughs> it's just a, it's, i i had the feeling this show was going to be like nothing we've ever seen and it's living up to my expectations i have so many questions and the only thing i'm hoping is that we don't end up with more questions than when we started that is frustrating when that happens i hope they give us some sort of resolution i mean if they leave us with a couple of questions i suppose that's okay leave something in the tank in case they want to go further but but i've got a lot of theories and not a lot of answers oh a yeah. lot of theories and some of mine have already been like blown out of the water so i've just sort of stopped guessing stuff and making predictions because i know the chance of them any of them actually being somewhat close to right is gets blown up every single week i'm sure we'll be talking more about loki at some point in the future 
So that's it for MCU news. On to our main event tonight. A biggie. Captain America Civil War. This is a pretty big film in the MCU. It opened on May the 6th, 2016. It stars Chris Evans, Robert Downey Jr., Scarlett Johansson, ya boy, Sebastian Stan, Anthony Mackie, Don Cheadle, Jeremy Renner, Chadwick Boseman, Paul Bettany, Elizabeth Olsen, Paul Rudd, Emily Van Camp, Tom Holland, William Hurt, and Daniel Bruhl. It was directed by Anthony and Joe Russo, who also directed Captain America the Winter Soldier. Screenplay, as always, for these Captain America films by Christopher Marcus and Stephen McFeely. At the box office, on a budget of $250 million, the film made $1.153 billion, that's B as in boy, billion dollars, another massive hit for Marvel. It's the eighth highest grossing film in the MCU uh, out of 24. Now that Black Widow has opened today, we're now up to 24. It's just a bit behind Iron Man 3 and significantly in front of Spider-Man Far From Home in terms of those box office rankings. This movie kicks off phase three of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I didn't write my overall impressions of the film. I didn't either because, at least for me, I already talked about this in our very first episode because this movie was listed in my top five. Mine too. And so I feel like I've already sort of said what I would have said here because the only thing I'll say now is the one thing I don't like about it is that it should just be Avengers 2.5 and I know you don't agree with me but Mm -hmm. that's what I think and we'll sort of get into why I think that but I really like the movie I just think that if they were going to make it the way that they did it should have just been another Avengers movie yeah we'll both be talking about this much later on in the show I disagree with you not completely I think that this movie finds a way to have its cake and eat it too I think it is yes on the one hand it is Avengers 2.5 and it kind of has to be perhaps Cap's story does get a little drowned out by having the rest of the Avengers around particularly Tony that having been said I still think it also serves as a Captain America story. This is the next step in Steve's story. His principles are being sorely tested to the point at which, you know, is he willing to do what he feels is right to the point where it breaks up the Avengers. And I think that's an important part of his development. And so I still think this is a a Steve Rogers story also. It just so happens he's got to share it with a bunch of other people. And I still love the movie. It's number five out of of, uh, my top five. I just happen to like Winter Soldier a little bit more. But I think this is a fantastic movie, both because I think it is a Cap story and an Avengers story. Yeah, and I mean, like, I had it at number five when we recorded our first episode, but I moved it up to number three. Oh, did you? Today. So I just pushed. Okay. I pushed three and four back. What's two? Like Black Panther or? No. So now my top five is five is Black Panther, four is the Avengers, three is Captain America Civil War, two is Iron Man, and one is Captain America Winter Soldier. Yeah, Iron Iron Man. Was Iron Man in your top five It's been in my top five, yeah. Okay. I couldn't remember. So you just shuffled it around, nothing got kicked out or brought back in? Yeah, nothing got kicked out. Okay. And now on to our story. In 1991, in a base in Siberia, Bucky Barnes, the Winter Soldier, is taken out of cryostasis and prepped for an extract and sanction mission by being read several trigger words in Russian. We then see Bucky running a car off an isolated road and taking five containers of super soldier serum from the trunk. Just so you know, I'm going to be unbearable this whole episode because not only do we get even more modern Bucky Barnes in this movie, but also you already know what the date of the mission is and you know how important a date it is. I just can't not. I don't know what could possibly be of any significance. It's very important. Of that date. So we're just going to keep going. Flash forward to the present day in Lagos, Nigeria, approximately one year after the events of Avengers Age of Ultron. Steve Rogers, Natasha Romanoff, Sam Wilson, and Wanda Maximoff are casing a police station having apparently gotten a lead on the whereabouts of 
former S.H.I.E.L.D. slash HYDRA agent Brock Rumlow, who has since been stealing weapons from police stations around the globe and selling them to terrorists. So I have a quick question. Lots of police departments get their weapons from the military of whatever country they're in, so why doesn't Rumlow just steal from the military? I can't imagine that it's actually that hard. Steve, Sam, and Natasha have already broken into Fort Meade, and it doesn't seem like anyone hardly noticed. And if they did, they surely aren't bothered by it. Yeah, but Brock Rumlow is not uh, Black Widow and Captain America, as good as he is. He probably just wants to go for the low-hanging fruit. A police station in Lagos is probably a lot easier to get into than an army barracks in pretty much any country. That's my guess. Within moments, the team realizes that Rumlow's target is actually a nearby research center for infectious diseases. He's attempting to steal a biological weapon. They engage Rumlow and his team, but they split up in the city. One of them has the bioweapon, but Cap's team doesn't know which. After a chase through a market, Natasha and Sam are able to secure the weapon. But Rumlow himself, his face badly scarred, and now outfitted with these nasty-looking hydraulic pile driver gauntlet thingies, has ambushed Cap and plans to take his revenge for Cap's part in dropping a building and a helicarrier on him in Captain America the Winter Soldier. Cap subdues him, and as he's taking him into custody, Rumlow tells him that Bucky is his buyer. Rumlow then attempts to blow himself and Cap up with a bomb, but Wanda uses her telekinesis to contain Rumlow and the blast. She's able to lift it away from Steve and the people on the ground, but inadvertently allows it to explode next to a building, accidentally killing several aid workers from Wakanda who were inside. I don't think I ever caught that Bucky was, air quotes, supposed to be the buyer for the bioweapon. I think maybe I was just so distraught about Bucky, much like Steve was. What does he say later when he's talking to Wanda? Rumlow said Bucky and all of a sudden I was a 16-year-old kid again in Brooklyn. Except I was me the first time I watched Winter Soldier. Very upset about my poor, innocent Bucky. I would certainly understand your reaction to that. I mean, did I miss the implication? It, was it implied that Rumlow thought Bucky was the buyer? I always thought that he was referring back to the time that they spent in that bank vault when they were talking to uh, Pierce. Okay. And he mentions, like, who is the man on the bridge? I knew him. And, like, he does get all weepy then, like Rumlow says. So I always thought that that's what he was referring to. I thought he was implying that Bucky was the buyer. I don't know. Either way, I'm sad about it, so. All right, well, we've just misled our audience. Well, take that for what you will, folks. We make mistakes, too. The espionage action thriller tone that Marcus and McFeely and the Russo brothers started in Winter Soldier continues here in Civil War like absolutely no time has passed. The idea to make the Cap movies like The Bourne Identity with superheroes just works so well, I think. The Lagos scene rarely gets mentioned when talking about great action sequences in the MCU, and yet this one is fantastic. I love watching Cap break into the compound. That dropkick move he lands on the dude on the truck, it's probably a physical impossibility, but it just looks so sick. I love it. And I love how we see Sam and Wanda on a mission as Avengers for the first time. I mean, this mission starts off really well. We see the four of them working together as a team quite effectively. And Natasha's action stuff is just so much fun to watch. Scarlet and her main stunt double, Heidi Moneymaker, just make it look so easy. I mean, look, Natasha takes out a dude with a basket, which I think is just so incredible. And hats off to Frank Grillo for making his only real scene in the entire movie count. It's so good to see Rumlow back in his uh, full crossbones regalia and being completely, utterly unhinged. Everything is going so well for the team, and then, like, in an instant, it all goes just horribly wrong. I love that beat when the bomb goes off and everything just kind of freezes as the realization of what's just happened dawns on everyone. The look of absolute horror on Elizabeth Olsen's face just kind of says it all. You know, after all of the epic destruction in the 12 MCU films that had preceded this one, this is the first time that we're really forced to actually confront the fact that innocent lives have been lost. Right. I think so far it's only been 
vaguely mentioned in passing. Like at the end of the Avengers, there's a brief comment on the news clips that are playing of people mentioning like, who's going to pay for this? You know, are we sure Mm -hmm. we want a bunch of enhanced people running missions and destroying cities? I think it does help give credit to the main thrust of this story that we'll see later. You know, the reason this movie is called Civil War anyway. Some days later, Tony is giving a presentation at MIT. We learn that he and Pepper have broken up. Tony has an encounter with a woman whose son was killed in Sokovia, and she blames Tony. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Hold on. You're just going to jump over the fact that Tony called his experiment barf? Not even going to mention it? Like, I know there are more important things going on, but... (laughs) Also, more seriously, though, it is Tony's fault. She's not wrong. I did think about... No, I'm not going to talk about the barf thing. I figured I'd leave the barfing bit to you, because somehow I thought you might bring it up. It's a funny little gag. And actually, you know, I do like seeing the CGI de-aged Robert Downey Jr., which I think is really cool. I think that was a really good de-aging job they did on him. I mean, he looks like he walked right out of, you know, less than zero back in 1989, 88. When did that movie come out? 87 or 88? That's pretty much what he looked like back then. I like the nice little cameo by the great Alfre Woodard. Uh, Her character is actually based on the mother of someone killed in the original Civil War miniseries in the comics, which act as the basis for this film. That person really guilts the crap out of Tony, and she kind of manipulates him into backing the Superhero Registration Act that serves as the basis for the Sokovia Accords in this film. Back at Avengers HQ, Cap and Wanda mull over their guilt regarding Lagos as the TV is blanketed with news coverage of the incident, much of it not terribly flattering towards the Avengers. Wanda blames herself for not adequately containing the blast, while Steve blames himself for not having been able to deal with it first. But ultimately, Steve favors saving as many lives as possible, even if some are lost, rather than ending up in a situation where none can be saved. Tony arrives at the compound along with former general, now Secretary of State, Thaddeus Ross, whom we haven't seen since the Incredible Hulk. He is there to express, on the behalf of the nations of the world, concern over the Avengers and their lack of oversight as they exercise their will around the world. He presents to them the Sokovia Accords, which would put complete control of the Avengers into the hands of a United Nations panel. They would no longer be able to operate as a private organization. The UN will be meeting in Vienna in three days to ratify the Accords. The Avengers are expected to either sign the accords or retire. Hey, I'm glad that Ross has chilled out since we saw him and Hulk about a million years ago, now it feels. I don't recommend heart attacks, but clearly it worked for him. And B, I'm still wondering why he doesn't bring up London from Thor The Dark World, or the other major catastrophe from Age of Ultron, which was Johannesburg. Does he not bring up London because they can't control Thor anyway? Also, I'll say that's a major fail for the accords, the fact that they know there are aliens that could come and go as they please and they just sort of leave that out (laughs) i know you were really really hung up on the london attack in uh thor the dark world the malekith crushing uh greenwich and all that that was a big Um, deal it was a big deal spaceship in the ground there is a spaceship in the ground i know it's and it's impressive i i agree with you it would be it would be really good for them to mention that and yes they destroyed johannesburg which always bothered me i think the destruction in johannesburg as much as there was in london with you know a dark elf spaceship sticking out of the ground a whole building collapsed in johannesburg thanks to hulk and tony i don't know why they don't talk about that i'm just guessing you know maybe they did and it ended up on the cutting room floor who knows they probably can only fit like three catastrophes in their little reel and i guess they figured new york and washington were the two most well known Washington wasn't even, I mean, it was a big deal, but the helicarriers crashed into the Potomac. True, they but didn't it is crash Was- into the city, you know. True, but it is still Washington D.C., the most dangerous terrorist organization in human history, taking over uh, our spy apparatus and being mostly re- 
responsible for crashing three helicarriers into the nation's capital. I can kind of see why they wanted to talk about that. Oh my gosh, I just, sorry. I was just thinking, they brought up New York, right? Yeah. They brought up New York and talked about the destruction that the Avengers caused, but they were literally going to blow up the island of Manhattan with a nuke. Mm-hmm. That's okay. way worse. That's true. Than the destruction that That's they caused. Because that would mean everybody's dead. No one ever accused governments of not being hypocritical. That's all I'll say. In Cleveland, a man named Helmut Zemo locates Bucky's old Hydra handler. He tortures the handler in an attempt to obtain mission report December 16th, 1991. He is unsuccessful and the handler dies. But Zemo does obtain the codebook containing the Winter Soldier trigger words. I mean, I just don't get it. What could possibly be so important about December 16th, 1991? It's a totally innocuous and insignificant date. It's not like anyone important or noteworthy was born on that particular date. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't like it's the actual birth date of a beloved podcast co-host or anything like that. I've never heard of that. Where were we? Oh, yeah. The Avengers discuss the Accords, and it becomes readily apparent that they are divided over them, with Tony, Natasha, Rhodey, and Vision in favor, and Cap, Sam, and Wanda opposed, citing the increased number of enhanced baddies and near-world-ending events that have happened in recent years. Vision argues that the Avengers' very power invites challenge, which in turn leads to conflict, which breeds, as he says, catastrophe. Cap counters by saying that signing the Accords would be signing over the Avengers' right to choose to a body with an agenda whose values may come into conflict with those of the team. While the team deliberates and debates, Cap receives a text message from London indicating that Peggy Carter has passed away in her sleep. Let the debate that began five years ago continue. One of the things I love about this movie is that while many of us no doubt side with Cap without reservation, probably simply because, you know, he's Cap, the arguments of Team Tony are valid too, I think. I mean, if this were happening today, I would probably be a little concerned about someone with Wanda's abilities roaming free and unfettered. But all of this is Tony's fault anyway. Literally, the whole reason we're here is him. Vision even specifically mentions, in the eight years since Mr. Stark announced himself as Iron man tony's making it sound like the team the avengers chose to mass manufacture deadly weapons and ship them all over the world or that they chose to create a genocidal murder bot and no that isn't what happened he's just over here spending the whole movie gaslighting the team when they were just trying to clean up the mess that he created tony sowed now it's time to reap also, aliens aside, and all, you know, superpowers aside, we already have people who, while not enhanced, have way too much power and control over how things happen anyway. I'm not so worried about Wanda when, like, we've got countries like the U.S., Russia, and China all together. Wanda is capable of manipulating reality. That doesn't scare you even just a little bit. I'm not saying that I'm on board with Team Tony, but I still sort of get that some people want a little oversight. But wouldn't you be a little bit scared if the five permanent members of the UN Security Council had final say on what she could or couldn't do? Or worse, what she had to do? What if France and the UK teamed up to send her to the Middle East and she can't say no? What if Russia could override a vote to send her somewhere that was a US ally? All right. I mean, those are all valid points. I agree. I can see a lot of people not entirely thinking that through the way you have. And I mean, just sort of on a visceral level, I kind of get it. I, mean, I happen to not agree with it, but I still get it. Cap and Sam, and unbeknownst to Steve until later, Natasha, go to London for Peggy's funeral. The eulogy is delivered by her niece, Sharon, who just happens to be former S.H.I.E.L.D. Agent 13, as last seen in Winter Soldier training to join the CIA. She talks about how Peggy once told her that, even if the whole world is telling you to move, it is your duty to plant yourself like a tree, look them in the eye, and say, no, 
you move. Steve and Natasha talk afterwards, and she informs him that she's headed to Vienna for the signing of the Accords. Tony, Rhodey, and Vision have already signed. Clint Barton says he's retired, and Wanda is undecided. Cap tells her he won't sign. The moment he finds out about Peggy and the entire funeral sequence, I don't think we ever see Steve looking so miserably alone as we do then. Except maybe in Endgame. His whole world is starting to come down around him, and now he's lost one of his closest friends. I mean, Peggy is his rock. Especially since this whole time, effectively, Bucky has still been gone from him also. That's true. The UN convenes a special summit in Vienna to approve the accords. Present are Natasha, King T'Chaka of Wakanda, and his son, Prince T'Challa. As T'Chaka is addressing the summit, a bomb goes off outside the building, injuring 70 and killing 12, including King T'Chaka. Security camera footage indicates that Bucky is the bomber. T'Challa vows to take revenge on him for his father's death. Steve and Sam tag along with Sharon, who goes to Vienna to participate in the investigation and in the hunt for Bucky. Cap intends to bring Bucky in himself. Meanwhile, Zemo practices the Winter Soldier trigger words in a hotel room where a strange-looking device is also being stored. Chadwick Boseman makes his first appearance in the MCU as T'Challa in this sequence, so that's very noteworthy. I also like how Sam quietly questions Cap's decision to go after Bucky. That line of his where he says, the people that shoot at you usually end up shooting at me. It's a subtle and, of course, completely warranted reminder to Cap that he's putting his ass on the line, too. It's like, you know, I'm not your sidekick, pal. Cap tracks Bucky down to an apartment in Bucharest. Bucky tells Cap that he wasn't in Vienna. Cap asks him why he pulled him from the river at the end of Winter Soldier. Bucky says he doesn't know. Cap and Bucky fight off the incoming German special forces as non-lethally as they can before escaping the apartment building to another rooftop. Out of nowhere, Bucky is attacked by a black-clad figure with claws, an apparently bulletproof suit, and some serious hand-to-hand -hand fighting skills. After a very cool chase through the streets of Bucharest, Cap, Bucky, Sam, and the mysterious figure later revealed to be T'Challa as Wakanda's superpowered protector, the Black Panther, are all taken into custody by Rhodey and the police. Another quick question, as I have many. Vienna, where the attack happened, is Austria. Bucharest is Romania. Mm -hmm. But German special forces? They did say German special forces, if I'm not mistaken. Hopefully, <laughs> otherwise it's going to be my second, I mean, second screw-up of this I podcast. I think they said the German special forces. Why? I don't know. They go back to Berlin, but still, Berlin is not Bucharest or Vienna or New York or DC or any of the other cities oh, that they've already mentioned. They end up in Berlin because Germany, I think they mentioned that's like the headquarters of like, like JSOC, oh. like the Joint Strategic whatever. So I think it's, I think okay. it's, you would have, I think that's why. So you'd have troops from various countries congregating there. So from that perspective, I guess it kind of makes sense that they're German soldiers. And I know this already happens in real life our reality but it does always bother me when another country's special forces get to operate in it not their country <laughs> always makes me a little nervous yeah i think well i say that would never happen here no it, it happens quite so frequently far. here let me you, know, you, you just just out of curiosity i'm gonna how are you looking up where JSOC I'm looking at I'm looking at JSOC. Joint Component Command of the United States Special Operations Command. It's a strictly, uh, that's a strictly U.S. thing. I don't know why they said German. And they're speaking German. German. And then they take them back to Berlin. So it must have something to do with that. There must be something in Berlin that supersedes the fact that this is a different country. And the attack happened on Austrian soil, and Austria does have its own armed forces. If it were Austrian troops, it would almost make more sense. I don't know if there are any listeners out there who have an answer. Read my tweet about this. You can respond. Since Bucky plays such a prominent role in this sequence, I will defer to our eminent Buckyologist, Dr. Emily Griswold, for her expert analysis. 
I mean, you already know that my favorite part is going to be all the interpersonal stuff between Cap and Bucky, more so than the fighting. Of course, the conversation that they have before the fight starts, where Steve is trying to pay attention to the fact that they're about to be in some pretty serious trouble, but it's his best friend. Finally, an actual conversation where they're not fighting each other, but now they've got to go and fight someone else. But of course, 70 years of brainwashing and being stuck in the ice doesn't stop them from fighting decently well together especially the very beginning when the special forces squad throws the flashbang into the apartment and bucky knocks it to steve so he can hide it under the shield i always thought that was a really cool move also bucky on a motorcycle hmm (laughs) (laughs) yeah i kind of figured you liked that scene i do like bucky repelling in the apartment building using the wrought iron banister as well as him stealing the motorcycle the stealing the motorcycle in midair thing is it's ridiculous but it just looks so damn cool Although I hate Rhodey's congratulations, Cap, you're a criminal line. I mean, I get it that he and Cap fall on opposite sides with respect to the Accords, but why does he have to be such a dick about it? I mean, it just sounds like something he'd say to Tony, but not to Cap. Also, frankly, this isn't even the first time that Cap has broken a few laws, even some international ones. Back at Avengers HQ, Wanda and Vision have a brief conversation about their respective abilities and the extent to which they contribute to who they really are. Wanda wants to run to the grocery store, but Vision prevents her from doing so, saying that Tony thinks it's better for her to stay put, lest there be another public incident. Well before WandaVision, I always thought that Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany had really good chemistry, and this scene supports that, I think. It's an effective, quiet moment that gives insight into both what these two characters think of themselves, as well as each other, and it makes their attraction to each other uh, not feel forced. It feels very natural connection that they're establishing with each other. Meanwhile, Cap, Bucky, Sam, and T'Challa are taken to the CIA's Joint Counterterrorism Center in Berlin. What? Dude shows up dressed like a cat and you don't want to know more? (laughs) That's such a great Sam line. (laughs) Sam's got some nice zingers in this movie. T'Challa tells Steve and Sam that the Black Panther has been the guardian of Wakanda for generations, that it's a mantle passed down from warrior to warrior, and that he still intends to kill Bucky. Tony tries to talk Steve into signing the Accords saying doing so will allow the UN to look the other way with regard to Cap's actions in the last day or so, and will assure that Bucky is transferred to an American rather than Wakandan prison. Cap considers doing so, saying that certain safeguards would have to be put into place, but then Tony informs Cap about Wanda's house arrest, and Cap is incensed. This scene also includes one of the most Steve-like quips that I think I've ever heard. When he and Tony sit down and Steve goes, oh, is Pepper here? With the brattiest look on his face that I've ever seen. Dude knows full well that something is up, but he still goes straight for the neck before they've even really started talking. Granted, he does feel bad about it afterwards when he finds out what's really going on, but still, Steve from 1940s Brooklyn meets Steve from 2016, foot and mouth behavior and all. It's funny you bring that up because when I first saw the movie in the theater back in 2016, I saw it on opening night, and after he said that, uh, a lot of people in the theater, including myself, admittedly went, ooh. (laughs) Well, because you can see it in his face, though. Yeah. Where he knows, like, he knows something is up between Tony yeah, and Pepper. It's, it's a dig. It's definitely a dig. It was intended to be a dig. Right. Had he known beforehand that they'd, like, split up, he may not have made that crack. But yeah, it was intentional. He totally did that on purpose. Zemo, posing as a UN psych evaluator, gains access to Bucky. At the same time, a courier arrives at a power substation outside Berlin with a package, the device from Zemo's hotel room. It's an EMP generator that fries the substation, killing all the power in Berlin, including the power at the CIA compound where Bucky is being held. 
With the lights out and the power to Bucky's containment pod gone, he begins to recite the Winter Soldier trigger words. Bucky activates and breaks out of his pod. Zemo then requests info on Mission Report December 16th, 1991. What could possibly be so important about that date? I just really don't know. Is that the last... It's not a beloved podcast co-host actual birthday. No, I would I would know that. No, yeah, we would know that I know for my sure. Fr- I know my good friends. I know my really, really, really good friends, especially my beloved podcast co-host slash engineer slash everything. Yeah, I would know if that's I mean, like, like her. I would know if that's her actual birthday. Really, like it, what's it going on with this date, be. though? I mean, what kind of what kind of a jerk podcast host would I be if I didn't know that Emily's birth date? was December 16th, 1991. I mean, <gasps> what what kind of jerk, what kind of jerk would he be to not know that? In case y'all haven't figured it out. <laughs> and I think I think I think the jig is up, Em. You've probably heard us talk about this before. Emily's birth date, actual birth date is December 16th, 1991, which is so ridiculously uncanny. I cannot tell you how how stupidly appropriate that is and it's so cool i can't tell you how extra i was in the movie theater hearing my actual birthday constantly yes 25 year old emily (gasps) gasping every every 10 minutes or so it's me Suspecting that the UN psych evaluator engineered all this, Cap and Sam work their way down to the holding area. Cap confronts Zemo and asks him what he wants. Zemo responds to see an empire fall. Bucky then attacks Cap and Sam and begins to flee the facility. Before long, the entire facility, including Cap, Natasha, Tony, Sharon, and T'Challa, are pursuing Bucky. Sam chases after Zemo, but he has escaped. Bucky tries to flee in a helicopter, but Cap is able to disable the chopper, render Bucky unconscious, and get him away from the sea. CIA compound. We then see Zemo at the airport listening to a voicemail message from someone we can only assume is his wife or girlfriend when he hears the news of Bucky, Cap, and Sam having fled the CIA compound. Zemo then boards an airliner bound for Moscow. I'm one of those people who sometimes feels more comfortable wearing a suit than wearing like a t-shirt and jeans or whatever. So I particularly enjoyed that exchange between Natasha and Tony where she's like, please tell me you brought a suit. And Tony's like, sure did. It's a lovely Tom Ford three-piece, two-button. <laughs> That's one of my favorite lines in the movie. And this is also where we get the infamous Cap stops a helicopter scene during which Chris Evans was injured during the first week of filming. He tweaked his arm doing that hold the helicopter into place bicep of the gods shot. My favorite little bit of this fight scene is when Bucky shoots Tony sort of straight in the face and Tony's watch-based Iron Man gauntlet thing is the only thing that saves him like it's so quick and you can see tony's face be like oh wow yep thank you all right past self you did a good job making that and then just keeps it moving it's so quick and it's so cool i know what you mean there's that brief moment where tony's kind of got that my life just flashed before my eyes look Sam and Cap are holed up in an abandoned factory, with Bucky's arm clamped in some sort of industrial vice. Bucky's persona seems to have reasserted itself as he begins to recite personal facts about Steve that only the two of them would know. He also tells them that Zemo was the real Vienna bomber, and that Zemo asked him about Siberia, where Bucky was kept. When Cap asks why, Bucky can only assume it has to do with the five other Winter Soldiers, an elite death squad that had more kills than anyone else in Hydra history, and whom Bucky... Cap and Sam are guessing Zemo wishes to control. It appears that Steve and Sam are on their own, since it may not be wise to contact Tony right now. Fortunately, Sam says he knows a guy. 
Secretary Ross is ready to call in spec ops to deal with Steve, Bucky, and Sam, but Tony convinces him to give the Sokovia Accord sanctioned Avengers 36 hours to bring them in themselves. The problem is, they're short-handed and need some help. Tony zips back to New York, Queens specifically, and visits a high schooler named Peter Parker, under the pretense of awarding him a research scholarship and a trip to a leadership seminar in Berlin. Tony has figured out that Peter is the Spider-Man, a local web-slinging, wall-crawling hero with superhuman strength whose exploits have been chronicled on YouTube. Tony plans to give Peter an equipment upgrade in exchange for his help in tracking down and apprehending Cap, Bucky, and Sam in Germany. And so here we have Tom Holland making his MCU debut as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. I'll save the explanations of how Spidey ended up in the MCU for our Spider-Man Homecoming review this fall. Trust me, that's a whole saga in and of itself. You can make a whole podcast about that. But I will say right now that I love Tom Holland's wide-eyed innocence and the fact that we're not laboring over Spidey's origin story once again. I'm so sick to death of hearing about Uncle Ben and was so glad that he wasn't even brought up in this movie. So bravo to the filmmakers for that. I also love the rapport between Tom Holland and RDJ, which of course translates well to Peter Parker and Tony Stark. Like even in the scene, you can tell how similar they are and how well they play off of each other. Also, I love this version of May. She's so funny. She's so like just a perfect May for me. Oh, no doubt. I love this version of May too. <laughs> Though perhaps for slightly different reasons. Oh, big different reasons, yes. <laughs> At Avengers HQ, Clint Barton having been summoned by Cap, apparently, has broken into the compound to spring Wanda so that they can both go help Cap. Vision tries to stop them, but Wanda uses her abilities to push Vision deep underground. Vision tells her, they will never stop being afraid of you. Wanda responds that she can't control their fear, only her own. Before heading to Germany, Clint says that they have one more stop to make. Okay, salty language alert, salty language alert. Honestly, Clint's line, I retire for what, like five minutes and it all goes to shit, is my favorite line of the movie. It's my absolute favorite line in the entire movie. And I have used variations of this line for my own personal uses on numerous occasions. Thank you very much. Sharon Carter clandestinely meets Cap, Bucky, and Sam outside the city and returns their gear to them, knowing that the authorities will come for her for doing so. With the sexual tension just too much to bear, Steve and Sharon kiss before Sharon flees. Did you have anything to say about that kiss? No, I mean, it's kind of weird that Steve is macking on the niece of the lady he was madly in love with, but like, it's whatever. <laughs> I like the stupid faces that Bucky and Sam are making in response to it way more than the kiss. I agree with you. Those are quite funny, the, the nods. <laughs> also, I like that brief little scene with the two of them in the car where Bucky asks Sam if he can move his seat up and you can see the mental Rolodex replaying all of the mean things that Bucky's done to him and be like no. The trio then meet Clint and Wanda in a parking lot at Leipzig Halle Airport and lo and behold Clint and Wanda have brought Scott Lang aka Ant-Man along to help, Scott being Sam's guy. Clint says he has a chopper standing by for them, but the airport is being locked down. Tony, no doubt, is onto them. Team Cap suits up and prepares to make their escape from Germany. Cap runs out to the tarmac by himself, but is soon confronted by Tony and Rhodey, who disabled the chopper. The Team Iron Man are soon joined by Black Panther, Black Widow, Vision, and Spider-Man, who makes a fantastic entrance by webbing Cap's shield, taking it, and webbing Cap's hands. Cap tells Tony about Zemo and the super soldiers in Siberia, but he does not believe it. While they are talking, Sam, who is hiding with Bucky, Wanda, and Clint, is able to locate the Quinjet in a nearby hangar. Clint frees Cap with an arrow. Scott, who has shrunken and climbed onto Peter, re-enlarges and reclaims the shield for Cap. And so the epic airport fight begins. 
God, there is so much to unpack in this fight. I don't even know where to begin, Emily. I'm just going to jot down some stuff that I like or notice about the fight and feel free to jump in and comment. All right, one, I love watching Cap and Black Panther fight. They're arguably two of the greatest hand-to-hand -hand combatants in the MCU. Two, once again, we get to see how cool Ant-Man is. He gets clocked in the process, but he's able to do a number on Natasha, one of the MCU's other great hand-to-hand -hand combatants. So that's a bit of an achievement, I think. Three, I've never been a huge Spider-Man fan. I've probably said that before, but I can't tell you how good it is to have Spidey in the MCU, finally. Regardless of what I think of him, he's belonged there from the start. And I love Tom Holland's wise-ass teenage Peter Parker routine. You have a metal arm? That is awesome, dude! Four, I hate Tony so much in this movie. I really do. Is he really so deluded that he thinks Wanda didn't want to leave the compound? That he did it to protect her? He is a delusional, self-righteous jerk who somehow seems to keep learning the wrong lesson from all of his various failures and enjoys making up lame-ass excuses to justify his, usually wrong, actions. Spoiler alert for later in the movie. Honestly, part of me kind of wishes Cap had gone John Walker on Tony's ass in Siberia. I was so bleeping pissed at him. I mean, doesn't he though? I mean, he, he kind of wails on him, but it's not like he not like he chops his freaking head off. Okay, spoiler for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Right, I, I was about actually... to say, it's not just a spoiler for the movie. It's a spoiler for like a big show. Yeah, so yeah, spoiler for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Yeah, I mean, it's the, you don't see it, but it's pretty clear Walker decapitates that dude. Anyway. Also... Welcome to the I Hate Tony Club, at least for as long as you're willing to visit. You're going to turn Barnes over to us because it's us, all right? And I'm trying to keep the Avengers together. I'm in charge. You have to listen to me. <laughs> like, he's such a baby. And also, the Avengers were together before the Accords. Oh, what else do I like? Okay. Oh, man, I thought it was a water truck. I love Ant-Man. We talked about that in the last show, and that's, like, one of the best parts of that fight. Uh, Cap versus Spidey. Experience is going to win every single time. Iron Man versus Ant-Man. First, Ant-Man on Hawkeye's Arrow. For those of you who don't know, who may not be comic book fans, that is an homage to the cover of Avengers 223 from back in 1982, uh, in which you see Ant-Man on the front of Hawkeye's Arrow getting ready to be shot off to, I don't remember where, I don't remember who they were fighting in that issue. Second, I love, <laughs> it's your conscience. We don't talk a lot these days. <laughs> that is probably my second favorite line of the whole movie. I do really like that line. I also like when it's Wanda and Clint versus Iron Man and Clint misses when he shoots at Tony and Tony who definitely should know better is like ha you missed like I don't know if you remember this or not but Hawkeye doesn't miss so you know working on your golf game yeah. I played 18 I shot 18 I just can't seem to miss Sam Clint Wanda and Scott are willing to sacrifice themselves so that Cap and Bucky can get away this isn't the real fight Steve is what Sam says to serve as a diversion so that they can Scott enlarges himself to a height of about 50 feet aka giant man for all the Marvel diehards out there and draws off team Iron Man Cap and Bucky are able to get to the hangar but are confronted by Natasha and T'Challa. Natasha has a change of heart and stuns T'Challa, allowing Cap and Bucky to escape. Tony, Rhodey, and Peter are able to team up and rope Scott a la The Empire Strikes Back and bring him down. That is one of my favorite parts of this airport fight scene, and it's also one of my favorite lines, so I'm sure it's your least favorite line. But I love Peter's... You know that really old movie, Empire Strikes Back, when they're on the snowy planet with the walking thingies? And Rhodey is like, geez, Tony, how old is this guy? And Tony's like, I don't know, I didn't carbon date the guy, he's on the young side. Because, like, you know me, that's exactly how I would refer to those things. They're on the snowy planet with the walking thingies. 
Yep. I do like that line, believe it or not. You and I don't disagree on everything, just close to everything. As the Quinjet takes off for Siberia, Sam flies cover while Tony, Rhodey, and Vision pursue them. Vision accidentally shoots Rhodey, whose war machine armor plummets hundreds of feet to the ground and lands with a sickening thud. Here we were having a fun superhero movie up to this point. Big comic booky fight, and then this happens, and things get deadly serious really quickly. I remember when I saw this in the theater, there were collective gasps in the audience, and it got really, really quiet. It's determined that Rhodey's injuries will likely paralyze him below the waist. Natasha confronts Tony and tells him that they played it all wrong and that Steve is not going to stop. Knowing that Secretary Ross is likely coming for her, she flees. Shortly thereafter, Tony learns of evidence implicating Colonel Helmut Zemo, who is a former Sokovian Special Forces operative, in the murder of the prison psychiatrist he impersonated and in faking the appearance of Bucky at the bombing in Vienna. Meanwhile, Zemo arrives at the abandoned Hydra base in Siberia and breaks in, locating the five cryo-frozen winter soldiers, as well as the mission report from December, December 16th, 16th 1991. 1991, which happens to be Emily's real birthday, which we've now firmly established. Tony flies to the raft, the maximum security penitentiary in the middle of the ocean where Sam, Clint, Wanda, and Scott are being locked up. Tony is able to talk to Sam and tells him he knows that Zemo framed Bucky. He convinces Sam to tell him where Cap and Bucky are headed, so he heads to Siberia to help Cap confront whatever awaits him up there. Unbeknownst to him, Tony is being followed by T'Challa. I really like how moody Clint is when Tony shows up. I think that is an appropriate response to what he did to them. And I think some of that is just Jeremy Renner more than Clint Barton the character because Jeremy does tend to play a fair amount of these like grumpy exhausted over it guy type roles. Mm -hmm. Cap and Bucky arrive in Siberia and enter the compound. Tony catches up with them and the trio make their way to the main Winter Soldier staging area, which used to be an ICBM silo, with T'Challa secretly on their tails, where they encounter Zemo and find that he has murdered the other super soldiers in cryostasis. Everything that Zemo has done so far has been done to bring the three of them there. He says he lost everyone in Sokovia. On a nearby video monitor, he shows videotape footage taken on... December 16th. Say it with me. December 16th, 1991. The greatest day in history <laughs> because the, yes, the greatest podcast co-host of all time was born on that day. It depicts the car crash seen earlier in the film in which the Winter Soldier takes the Super Soldier serum from the trunk. But what is now revealed is that it is the car crash in which Tony's parents were allegedly killed. We see the Winter Soldier kill Howard Stark and position him in the driver's seat so as to make it appear he was killed in the crash. He then kills Maria Stark before shooting out the security camera, taking the footage. A horrified Tony looks on and then asks Steve if he knew. Steve says he did. Tony attacks Steve and Bucky as Zemo sneaks away. Zemo is my favorite antagonist in the MCU. He has motivations that make sense, and he's been meticulously planning this brilliant operation to get the Avengers to turn on one another for over a year. And he doesn't do it in a maniacal, mustache-twirling way like a James Bond villain announcing his master plan. He does it in a very quiet, understated manner that belies the seriousness with which he approaches the whole enterprise. It also underscores how grief-stricken slash bonkers he is. He's willing to kill a lot of innocent people and to potentially undermine the safety of the entire planet by tearing apart its greatest team of defenders. He's probably also one of the most complicated villains in the MCU. 
especially the more we learn about him and Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Like, in this movie, he's going after them because of what they did to Sokovia, but he also, even in this movie, clearly has something against superhumans kind of in general. You know, like, he kills the five other Winter Soldiers in Mm -hmm. their sleep. Like, they weren't even active. He probably doesn't even know anything that they've done. But I think what's compelling about him in terms of other villains of the MCU is that there's no one pulling his strings. There's no great benefactor. There's no money. It's just Zemo and his grief. Tony, Cap, and Bucky fight in the missile silo. Cap urges Bucky to flee while he tries to cover for him, but Tony is absolutely enraged and isn't stopping. In the melee, Tony severs Bucky's robotic arm. Outside, Zemo sits and listens to the voicemail message from his wife again. We, of course, now understand it was left on his phone long ago, perhaps the last message she ever left for him. T'Challa, now realizing that Zemo was responsible for everything, including his father's death, confronts him. Zemo tells him how he lost his wife, his son, and his father during the Avengers battle with Ultron and Sokovia. And yet the Avengers got to go home, while his life and his home lay in ruins. He knew he couldn't destroy the Avengers himself, but he could get them to destroy each other. Zemo attempts to take his own life, but T'Challa stops him. I understand how it's easier for T'Challa to forgive Bucky, in a sense, because the bombing in Vienna categorically and literally wasn't him. And I know that T'Challa is a better person than um, most everyone in the MCU, but it kind of always bothered me how Tony knows. Like, he knows that Bucky wasn't himself when the Winter Soldier killed his parents. He knows what happened to Bucky over the course of those 70 years. He's read the shield and Hydra files. It's complicated because it's the same physical body, but it honestly and truly wasn't Bucky that killed Tony's parents. To nearly get yourself killed and to nearly kill one of your friends because of something that a completely different person essentially did and that you didn't process 20 years ago. I don't know, man. At that point, I think the fact that Steve knew all along is what really pushed Tony past the point of reason. In Tony's mind, Steve's already betrayed him by not signing the Accords and by being with Bucky. So hiding the truth about mom and dad's death is like the ultimate betrayal to him. And, you know, come on, Tony's always been an impulsive hothead. We've known this for years. Yeah, and I mean, that's why I bring up the point that is a better person than Tony. But also, mm-hmm. when was there ever going to be a good time for Steve to tell Tony about that? Maybe Steve was hoping that he never would have to. I think he said later on, you know, he wanted to or he tried to. At the very least, I think he said he wanted to, but how do you do that? There's no good time. And, you know, maybe Steve didn't want to. You could make an argument that for the safety of the team and the preservation of the Avengers, that sometimes you have to keep secrets. Seeing his best friend lying maimed on the ground, Cap becomes enraged himself and steps up his attack on Tony. Tony gets the upper hand and is about to finish Cap off when Bucky comes to long enough to distract Tony so that Cap can pick him up and throw him against the wall. Retrieving his shield, he bashes away at Tony mercilessly. It looks as though he's about to kill him, but instead he damages the arc reactor in the suit's chest, thus disabling it. Tony tells Cap that he doesn't deserve the shield that his father made, so Cap departs with Bucky and leaves the shield behind. That's always been one of my favorite iconic views of the movie is that weird skinny windows whatever that thing is that they're fighting in they're in the bottom of an icbm silo so i think it's like where all the exhaust shoots out yeah it's like and a vent. when he's like carrying bucky and they're both struggling and he just is like all right and just drops the shield mm-hmm. like i always thought that looked really cool despite the fact that i like i've said this is avengers 2.5 i think that is such a good cap growth moment for him to be like all right i don't need the shield well there you just made my argument for me for why i think this is still a captain america movie that's sort of the end of a chapter in steve rogers life he is as it turns out just temporarily but for a while abandoning captain america because he feels he needs to 
Another image that's very iconic, that image of, you know, Cap using the shield to hold back the uh, the repulsor blast from Tony, that's lifted right out of the comics. So that was kind of an extra special thing for all the Marvel diehards out there. Notice how we get the big set piece fight, namely the airport fight, in the middle of the movie. The fight at the end of the movie is not nearly as elaborate and only involves a handful of people, but it is perhaps the most personal and most brutal fight in all of the MCU up to this point. It's brutal because it's so personal. Cap and Tony have had natural antipathy towards each other bottled up for a few years now. Zemo's machinations put them on opposite sides of the field once again. And then that tape, absolutely damning, devastating tape <laughs> made on your birthday, December 16th, 1991. <laughs> that was the last straw. It was all the excuse they needed to finally just have it out with each other. Also, notice how Tony confronts Bucky specifically with the phrase, you killed my mother. I guess he and dad really were on the outs about as much as they'd led us to believe. As I alluded to earlier, I was so furious at Tony when I first saw this movie, I actually did want Cap to kill him. I knew Cap wouldn't do it, and I knew it wasn't right, but I didn't care. But it's like he uses this movie to rectify his mistakes, Tony that is, by blaming them on other people. Like, it's Cap's fault for breaking the Avengers by not signing the Accords. Not Tony's fault for having created Ultron in the first place. And he carries that line of thought with him all the way into the beginning of Endgame. I mean, that's what I was saying before, though. Like, this entire section before of Tony's life, he was reaping, you know, he was reaping the benefits of being an international arms dealer, of having all these skills, of doing all this stuff, of being the leader of the Avengers, and now it's time to sow. You made a genocidal murder bot. You sold bombs and weapons of mass destruction to various countries and traumatized children who then grew up to work with Hydra. All of these things, you did that. My guy, Cap didn't do that. He was asleep in the ice. Clint didn't do that. He's just a regular dude. Natasha was busy being a spy. Hulk was being Hulk. <laughs> like... <laughs> All these other people have things that they have to contend with. But again, I guess because Tony is like the head of the Avengers, that's all on you, dude. Tony returns to a very empty Avengers HQ. Vision is pining for Wanda. Tony helps Rhodey learn to walk again with a high-tech prosthesis. Tony receives a package from Steve, delivered by Stan Lee, cameoing as a FedEx driver. It's for Tony Stank. <laughs> is there a Tony Stank? Uh, yes, yes, that's him. He's here. Containing a letter in which Steve bequeaths the Avengers to Tony, essentially, and in which he apologizes for not telling Tony the truth about his parents. And a flip phone with which Tony can call Steve if he ever needs him again. We then see Steve breaking Sam, Clint, Wanda, and Scott out of the raft. In a mid credit sequence, we see Bucky return to cryogenic stasis in Wakanda until a way can be found to deprogram him permanently. In a post credit sequence, Peter Parker tries to explain away his Germany escapade to Aunt May. He also begins to explore the web shooters built for him by Tony. There is the plot and the story. This is the part of the podcast where we talk about characters and actors, starting off with Chris Evans as Steve Rogers slash Captain America. As we've already alluded to numerous times, a common criticism of this film is that it's not so much a Captain America movie as much as it is Avengers 2.5. And for the most part, as I've said, I disagree with that assessment. I think the film shows us an important part of Cap's journey, his commitment to his best friend and his commitment to his principles, such that he's willing to leave the Avengers for both of those reasons. Having said that, I don't think the this movie necessarily showcases Cap at his best. He does have to share the screen with an awful lot of other characters, and I think his first two solo films, as well as Endgame, give us a better flavor of who Steve Rogers is in terms of him being an active participant in the action. This movie has a lot of Cap's kind of reacting to stuff. Obviously,
obviously he's making critical life-altering decisions in this movie but as i said he does get a little less screen time than those around him it's still a much better representation of steve rogers than we get in either of the weed and avengers movies not much to say about chris evans i mean he does a superb job as usual and you know he is cap yeah and i think the whole sharing the screen with a bunch of other people makes it so that we don't get enough cap in this movie frankly because like i think that's why it feels like avengers 2.5 because a, this movie isn't fully about Cap. You know, it is about the Avengers. And also, there are so many other people in the movie to share time with and to sort of share stories with because other people are also growing and changing in this movie as well. And it's not just side characters or a couple of characters like Sam or Natasha. It's Tony Stark in mm-hmm. there, you know? It's Wanda in there. It's Bucky. It's all these other people that need their stories told because they are main characters. But that's pretty much my one big issue with this movie is that like, yeah, we get to see Cap and Bucky and Cap and Sam and we know how he feels about the Accords, et cetera, et cetera. But the second Tony Stark walks on the scene, it's like they're battling, not only for who's right or who's wrong, but for who's the actual lead in the movie. (laughs) And I think what we do see of Cap is great. And of course, Chris Evans is excellent, like you said, as usual. But I still argue that despite the presence of the other Avengers, and yes, I think the movie is also about the Avengers as a whole, It's also a film about a necessary step in Cap's development as a character. He's so principled that he's even willing to risk dividing the team that he loves and in which he has a vested interest to defend those principles. So from that perspective, I still think the movie is essentially about Cap, but it also happens to be about all the other Avengers too. Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark slash Iron Man. Tony was probably my favorite character in the MCU until this movie. I didn't even think that he was that unbearable in Age of Ultron or in the second or third Iron Man movies. But truly, this movie is where he went off the rails for me, and I just don't really like him anymore. And again, character-wise, we're here in this predicament because of Tony and because he spends a bunch of the movie trying to blame other people. And maybe that's Tony's old playboy ways coming back to haunt him. Like, I don't know. Like you said, he's always been sort of hot-headed and I think that's hard to let go of. But, you know, in particular, of course, I hate how he responds to finding out that the Winter Soldier, not Bucky, kills his parents. Because it's just that. It's the Winter Soldier, a person who doesn't exist anymore and who he can't punish or get revenge on. And I think it's icky that he keeps going after Bucky knowing full well it really wasn't him. Like, I don't know what I would do in that situation, but logically, my logical brain that doesn't have to deal with these emotions is like, but it's not him. Would you still be as mad at Tony if he were railing against someone other than Bucky. Be honest. Yes, of course. If they had been brainwashed by a bunch of Nazi rejects for 70 years and killed an untold number of people while under the control of those rejects with no ability to break free from the programming, 100%. Okay. All right. Just checking. I've already talked about how much Tony makes me want to kill him in this movie. You and I are in agreement on that. He really is just such a jerk in this movie. And I can't help but think that perhaps to some extent that that's the point. More likely than not, the filmmakers want us to buy into Cap's reasoning for taking the stand that he does and maybe that's an easier ask if the person on the other side of the table is just you know kind of a dick you know maybe i'm overthinking it maybe rdj is just really good at playing tony stark and this is exactly how tony stark big ego and all would behave in a situation like this make no mistake as much as i dislike tony in this movie robert downey jr is stellar once again i may disagree with tony's position on the accords but at least he has principles we think and is willing to fight for them which is a far cry from the Tony Stark we first meet in Iron Man. RDJ shows us just how sincere Tony is about all this. I think he sells Tony's guilt as well as the manic need to 
make up for it. Just wanted to acknowledge earlier this week, uh, our DJ lost his dad. Robert Downey Sr., director and father of Robert Downey Jr., passed away earlier this week after an apparently very lengthy battle with Parkinson's. So just wanted to acknowledge that. Scarlett Johansson as Natasha Romanoff slash Black Widow. First of all, congratulations to Scarlett on the release of her movie, finally. On this show, we've talked a lot about how much we love Scarlett as Natasha, and that's still the case here, even if I don't think this is her best outing. What I do like about Natasha in this film is how she tries to have her cake and eat it too. She says that while the Accords are an imperfect solution, at least it still allows the Avengers to have one hand on the wheel. And when she stops Black Panther from catching Cap and Bucky at the airport, she says that she said she'd help find Cap and Bucky, but not help capture them. She wants the Avengers to succeed, but she's also good friends with Cap. And I think it's interesting how she struggles to walk that fine line in this movie. She wants to support Cap when Peggy dies and be there for him, but she also takes the opportunity to try to convince Cap to sign the Accords. Likewise, she's there to represent the Avengers at the Accords ceremony in Vienna, yet she's also the only one to point out to Tony, both during and after the airport fight, that the entire situation has gotten out of hand. I do think Natasha's role in this movie is one of the more complicated things to try and sort of suss out. It makes sense that she would choose the side that seems to be the safest or the more reliable. Like when she traded in the Red Room in the KGB for S.H.I.E.L.D. before she knew it was Hydra. And I think on paper, Team Tony and the Accords are the safer option. It's either that or retirement, or the unknown with Cap. But I think it's a little confusing because why in the world would she side with the government given that she was kind of public enemy number one after dumping all those secrets at the end of the last Captain America movie. I think one of my favorite scenes of hers is the one that you just mentioned where she said she'd helped find Cap but not help capture them. Like that's the most spycraft Natasha thing to do. You know, She's, she's like such there's a... words, you know, words mean things. I'm sure she's been, you know, trained, bred, whatever. I guess we'll find out when we watch Black Widow to do everything she can to just kind of have everything work out for her. The way, she, the, way she, the way she needs it to. Yeah, she's trying to have cake and eat it too because she kind of needs to so yeah not completely unsurprising that she has done this Ya boy, Sebastian Stan as Bucky Barnes slash the Winter Soldier. I think you better go first. <laughs> in chronological terms, we haven't seen Bucky in a really long time. So of course I'm happy to see that he's actually here. I've always been really interested in the Bucky that we see in Civil War because the Bucky that we see in Infinity War and then Endgame is sort of pretty limited like he is in some of the other movies. From the sort of like vague attempt that he does at forming a life in Bucharest to being back in it and fighting alongside Steve. I'm glad we get to see sort of multiple sides to him. One of my favorite things is to kind of dissect Bucky's apartment in Bucharest, like all the newspaper <laughs> up on the windows, all the notebooks with what I assume are memories that he's trying to piece together. You know, one thing that I wish we could know about Bucky, and especially Bucky from the end of Winter Soldier to Civil War, is why Steve and Sam could never find him. You know, the Bucky we know now in 2021 seems to really want Steve, whatever version he would have known or seen after Endgame anyway, to be at least a little proud of him. And it's clear that he misses Steve so I wonder why Bucky would have been throwing them off his trail for so long but like that's one of the things that I like about it is that even though we haven't had a lot of Bucky post Winter Soldier yet at this point that he's still like complex and interesting and like not mm -hmm. just big sads like the big sads are there don't get me wrong but <laughs> oh you enjoy the big sads to some extent Oh, no, 
I do. It's just nice to see some complexity to the character. That's fair. I agree that it's good to see Bucky and not the Winter Soldier for the first time in a while. Sebastian Stan, he does a fantastic job showing us a Bucky who's trying to piece things together after all this time and after everything that he's gone through. But he's also a Bucky who's trying to not get anybody hurt. And I think that includes Steve. I think that's why he made himself so scarce after the last movie. And it's why he opts to go back on ice at the end of this one. It's kind of like Banner in Age of Ultron. I mean, his biggest concern is not hurting anybody. Anthony, cut the check, Mackie, as Sam Wilson slash the Falcon. Sam does seem to be a bit of a glorified sidekick in this movie, which is why the, you know, people who shoot at you usually shoot at me line is particularly appropriate. But at least we do get a few of those great zingers. Your aforementioned cat line, his quips to Peter about talking during a fight, as well as the beginnings of uh, his tumultuous relationship with Bucky, which of course will culminate in the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think now that we've seen him in his own show, therefore giving us like six more hours of solid Sam Wilson content. It's kind of sad to see him pretty much only playing the sidekick role for comparatively a few minutes in this movie. I think I liked him more in Winter Soldier just because we get to see more character growth there. But I did really like his scene on the raft with Tony, but I also just love that scene in general. Mild spoiler alert for Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Sam has some big stuff coming up. We'll just leave it at that. Don Cheadle as James Rhodey Rhodes slash War Machine. I talked about how much I dislike like the you're a criminal line of roadies from earlier in the film. I still don't like it. However, now when I look at Rhodey over the course of the entire film, it kind of makes sense that he, a career military man, starts off as, as kind of a hawk, this, you know, pro-accords hardliner. But then at the end of the movie, as he realizes all the damage that's been done, he's like, this really sucks. This is a bad beat. And then when we see him again in Infinity War, you know, his first scene, he brushes off Secretary Ross when Cap returns. And it's pretty clear that he's fully come around to the idea that maybe the Accords were not such a great idea after all. Or at the very least, they should have treated Cap better. Yeah, I think Rhodey's decision not just to follow Tony, but to be this sort of hawkish pro-Accords military guy makes total sense. But I do like that by the end of it, he kind of realized that he may have made a mistake. You know, growth. And I like how they carry that into Infinity War, that first scene of his at Avengers HQ when he tells Ross to go suck it and greets Cap and Natasha and Sam and all of them rather warmly. He almost has this apologetic look on his face, kind of like, yeah, I kind of screwed up. I'm really glad to see you guys. Jeremy Renner as Clint Barton slash Hawkeye. I think my favorite Clint Barton is in Age of Ultron, but I do really like him in this movie as well. I like that he's still there for Wanda, and I'm betting they've had many conversations between this movie and the last time we saw them together. I would 100% expect him to be on Cap's side because, I mean, dude was brainwashed by Loki. He knows what it feels like to not have control, and the Accords would be a big no-no for a guy like that, I would think even before the brainwashing. Also, I love, of course, his line in the raft when he's talking to Tony. The futurist is here. He sees all. Like, the way he <laughs> says it, like that, like, drawl. Like, that sort of Midwest. I don't know if you can call a Midwest drawl a thing, but I've liked it. I always thought it was such a good dig at Tony. Per my comments earlier regarding my favorite line in the movie, I love Clint in this movie because he's just there to do two things. One, help Cap, and two, be a smartass. <laughs> and he does both quite well. Chadwick Boseman as T'Challa slash the Black Panther. I remember how most of us Marvel Comics fans were really looking forward to Black Panther joining the MCU, and I'm glad to say we were not disappointed. We talked about this a bit in our tribute to Chadwick Boseman last year after he passed. I mean, he 
is T'Challa, period. And even though we're we're getting the early revenge-minded T'Challa who needs to learn a few things, Bozeman still presents us with this very regal, princely figure who's also smart, extremely capable, and just overall extremely heroic. And as we said last year, that's one of the reasons why it's such a shame that uh, the Chadwick is is gone now. He had barely scratched the surface with what he could do with this character. And I mean, all I can say is, you know, I'm glad we got to see what we have seen of him. And I'm really glad that we at least get to hear him one last time uh, when What If rolls out. I really liked him in this movie too. I think T'Challa is one of the most consistently written characters in the MCU. I think everything he does makes sense in the context of all of his other behaviors and the actions that he's taken, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. I think the fact that as soon as he realized that Zemo is actually the guy he's after, he stops chasing Bucky, is one of the best parts of this movie. Like how he's like, oh, it's not him? Cool, I'm going to go to the guy who it is. Especially because he doesn't allow Zemo to kill himself. Not really out of the goodness of his heart or anything, but because that would be the easy way out. I think most of the other characters would have stopped Zemo and then maybe offed him themselves. But T'Challa, I think, as a character that's always thinking ahead, and I think Chadwick was really good at portraying that as well. The realization when in that scene in Siberia, when he finally confronts Zemo. You know, Zemo's told him everything that's going on. T'Challa has already realized, oh, I was chasing after the wrong guy. They were telling the truth. Bucky didn't do this. So there's at least a tiny bit of guilt. Not a lot, but sort of the realization, okay, I was chasing the wrong guy. Zemo had already killed a bunch of people, including T'Challa's own father, and was perfectly willing to kill, hurt a lot more, and make the Avengers tear each other to shreds for the purpose of revenge. And I think T'Challa sees, you know, hey, I was ready to kill an innocent man out of revenge for something that he didn't do and that's character growth that's the prince one step closer to becoming the king revenge has consumed them and i i will not let it consume me anymore and it's a really really neat moment like i said he's just very heroic Paul Bettany as the Vision. Of his three appearances in the MCU films thus far, this one is my favorite because we get to see so many sides of the character. There's the machine that performs the cold, rational causality calculus regarding the Avengers. There's the stoic hero we see in the fights, especially with Hawkeye and at the airport. But there's also the more human side of him that Wanda brings out. He has these quiet, thoughtful conversations with her and even tries to cook her one of her native Sokovian dishes and you can tell how much he truly regrets how things end up especially with regards to both Wanda and Rhodey. That said, I like Paul Bettany's performance in Infinity War just a bit more but he is still fantastic in this film. Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff. I will try not to bleed into WandaVision too much, but it's hard not to because Elizabeth Olsen's performance in that was Emmy-worthy, as far as I'm concerned. That said, I like her in Civil War very much. One year into becoming an Avenger, and only a year removed from her brother's death, Wanda is still getting used to her new life as a superhero, and seems to still be working on becoming comfortable with herself and who she is. That's a luxury that I'm sure was not afforded to her by Baron Von Strucker. I like Wanda a lot in this movie, too. I think she's matured a lot since what happened in Age of Ultron. And it's good to see her sort of take a stand for herself, even if she needs to be pushed into doing it. You know, especially a stand that puts her at odds with Vision, who she clearly has a good relationship with. Yeah, that was a big deal. At this point in time, she's got very few sort of close friends. There's Vision and, you know, maybe Clint. Obviously, she's very close to Vision, and it was a big deal for her to have to take a stand against him. Paul Rudd as Scott Lang slash Ant-Man. 
I don't really have a lot to say about Paul Rudd as Ant-Man in this movie. I think I covered it pretty decently in our previous episode, given that before we recorded that episode, I hadn't really ever watched Ant-Man. And so I'd only ever seen him in the combo movies and thought that he was just a silly weirdo. And so he's just a silly weirdo in this movie. And now that I've seen him in his own full movie and can appreciate that, the whole time I'm just like, oh man, but we could have had the other one. I think Scott Lang is in this movie to provide more, you know, whiz-bang grist for the superhero mill during that airport battle. And maybe a little bit of comic relief, but you know, that's probably about it. I guess they also needed to introduce Ant-Man into the whole Avengers mix so as to make his reintroduction in Endgame make a little bit more sense. You know, no, we're not going to get the full Paul Rudd experience here, but I don't think that was ever the intention. I liked him in this movie for what he did. It was neat to have this goofball temporarily introduced into the mix. Tony gets Peter Parker, Steve gets Scott. Plus we get to see Giant Man, which was a, um, <laughs> no pun intended, big fan moment in the movie. Emily Van Camp as Agent Sharon Carter. I feel like she doesn't have a ton to do in this movie that's on screen and therefore counts as stuff that's in the movie, you know? Yeah, she was delivering info to Steve and she got him his shield back and of course, you know, the kiss or whatever, but we didn't get to actually see her do most of those things. Like all of the work that she did to get the intel to Steve, the work that she must have done to get the shield and Sam's wings to Steve, but we don't get to see her do any of that. Like, wouldn't that have been cool to see her do some sort of like cool spy CIA break into the vault in Berlin like obviously wouldn't have fit in the movie but it just makes her feel more dispensable in this one yeah I mean we get to see her try to beat up Bucky but (laughs) no one else in that room could do that either so looking back I do wonder if they actually had much of a plan for Sharon Carter after Winter Soldier I'm guessing her appearance in Falcon and the Winter Soldier was not even a thought at this point in time it's like she was there as a potential future love interest for Steve, but surely by now they had kind of figured out where Cap was going to end up in just a few more films, i.e. not with Sharon. I agree. The stuff with Bucky and Sam giving Steve the oh yeah after the kiss was probably more amusing than anything actually involving Sharon. Tom Holland as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man. Ha! If you thought I was unbearable about Bucky, just wait until we get to see more of Tom Holland. I love him. I love this Peter Parker, although I will out myself now as an Andrew Garfield Peter Parker fan. I love how perfectly teenager he is in response to everything around him. (laughs) Like, I can't wait until we get to see more of him in the coming Spider-Man movies in our reviews. And of course, that Star Wars quip during the airport fight is one of my favorite parts of this movie, because that is exactly how I perceive the Star Wars movies to be. Tom Holland is so good at this role for so many reasons he does the awkward geekiness of peter parker really well and he's got the smart ass quips and zingers of spider-man down pat and there's just this likability about him that just naturally draws you into him he's just he's so good for this role and i'm glad we get to see more of him william hurt as secretary thaddeus thunderbolt ross I'm glad he's chilled out, but like Thaddeus Ross is 100% just a less self-aware version of that are we the baddies meme. Ross is there to be the hawkish enforcer of the Accords, and probably not much else. But it's cool that we get to see William Hurt reprise the role after almost eight years. I think he's in Black Widow, so that'll be interesting to see. Daniel Bruhl as Helmut Zemo. Since we are in 2021 and we've gotten to see all of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, I gotta say, I might actually prefer the Zemo that we see in this movie compared to the Zemo that we get in the show. I think in the show he's a brat and just kind of, I don't know, he rubs me the wrong way in the show. And I don't have much else to say about him than I didn't already say in the review. 
but we get to see Zemo dance in the show. That is fun. Yeah. We we get the Zemo cut. I liked the dancing in the show and I liked the ridiculous fur coat. If we get around to reviewing the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, we'll have a lot more to say about this. Suffice it to say, I think they fleshed out Zemo in that series so as to bring him more in line with the Baron Zemo that fans know from the comics. The fur coat, the purple balaclava, the very title Baron Zemo. But I agree with your assessment of Zemo in this film completely. It's what happens when a, a deadly special forces operative who's way too capable is motivated by grief to do something. He's going to keep going until the job is done. And he might not care about who else gets hurt in the process. He's that focused. And I think Daniel Bruhl carries that off really well. Martin Freeman is Agent Everett Ross. We forgot to talk about the other Ross in this movie, but doesn't have a whole heck of a lot to say or do, but I did want to acknowledge him, particularly because I like Martin Freeman a lot. We'll have more to say about him in our review of Black Panther, no doubt including at least one joke about Bilbo Baggins and Gollum being in a Marvel movie together. <laughs> so there you have it. There, 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 there she blows, arr. There we have it, our review of Civil War, arr. All right. Do you have anything to say about the music? I have to say... Oh, shoot. I didn't write that either. I like. I uh, didn't really notice the music in this movie. I like the score by Henry Jackman. I like it better than the Winter Soldier score. I know we're, we're going to differ on that. The Winter Soldier score, there's just too much of that atonal stuff. Just sounds like noise to me. I mean, yeah, the Winter Soldier theme is kind of important. I get that. But I was kind of looking for a more conventional superhero movie score, and I got one this time around. So I do like the score in this movie. So that is it. Our review of Captain America Civil War. Thank you once again for joining us for this show. We'll be back in about five weeks or so with, um, we're going to take a break from the reviews for, for that one. We're going to do another top five. I think we're going to be doing top five characters in the MCU. So we will be back with that. Something a little different. I did start thinking about my top five characters, actually, and I don't have them all. I've only got like two of them. I've so. only got two of mine also. I'm going to have to do some ruminating while we have this interlude. So that is it. Thank you so much for listening to all of our audience members. We appreciate you spending time with us, and we will see you in the not-too-distant future. Thanks so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Have a good night.